1: what's up y'all it's your boy doc coil the x-man back here for another show i feel like i haven't done a show in forever but it's only been two weeks but it's been a long two weeks (laughs) uh got a couple interviews done and been been working essentially bad wolves has been in the studio finishing up the lp number four and we, we were essentially working on music between every break that we weren't on tour. So a lot of the work was done. And so it was like we spent about eight days finalizing instrumentals, getting new tunes in there. And and then DL just started vocals like I want to say three days ago. And in the middle of that, we had like a photo shoot. And then we had like a party. A little, you know, had had our friends out. And, uh, yeah, it was, it's just been, it's been, a, it's been a very busy few weeks and i have to say the record is sounding pretty incredible. And I feel like I can take very little credit for that. Everyone, everyone is really bringing their a game and, uh, I've contributed, but it's like, you know, you know, John is just, you know, just throwing heaters, you know, with the songwriting and bringing in a lot of great songs, some stuff, you know, worked on some other people and brought it in and, Max is really involved and he's just crushing it every day. And and DL, man, whoo, this guy's just, he sounds so good. Um, I know Kyle's coming and doing bass pretty soon, but yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. I'm really interested to see how it's all said when it's done, because you kind of put these intentions out about, Oh, I want the record to be heavier. I want the record to be more serious or I want it to be this or that. And then you kind of get into the process and it develops a life of its own. And you know, I think it's the most true version of the band in a long while, and you know, whatever we were thinking, any pretenses we had, we kind of got back to doing something we wanted to hear, and 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 are not really making a record for anyone else, except for us, and that is, I think, where you need to be. And sometimes, you know, the band like us, we've been through a lot of stuff, a lot of craziness, and. The last album was so even though it took a really long time when you zoom out and you see when when the band started, when we finished, there was kind of a mad dash to finish the record once DL joined. So it was I don't say there wasn't a lot of time for reflection, but it was like go, 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 go. And you know, we felt good about it, but it was also this sense of unknown, right? Because it was our first album with DL and you know, you like you like it, but you don't know how people are going to react to it. And now, it's in a in a way, I knew it would take that whole touring cycle and getting to know each other, and also just lot of lots of discussions like about what we want, what where we want the band to go, what maybe we weren't happy with with the last record, even though everyone really really likes the last record. I think if any anything, we all feel it's underrated or 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 under appreciated. But with all that said it feels really, feels really good. And I'm just, you know, just seeing, seeing it all come to life. And, uh, I have to record a bunch of guitar solos. I got, got a little bit of a, you know, writer's block. So wish me well, <laughs> you know, I was doing solos today and I'm just like getting my rig set up, you know, and I'm just, you know, trying different guitars. And all. and the room I, I record in is like the worst room in the apartment because if it's hot outside, it's hot in here. If it's cold outside, it's cold in here. And all the action of my guitars are all jacked up, especially for being away for so long. And so I'm gonna have to like change strings and you know set the necks and you know it's a it's a thing. I've I I realize I do so many things and I get wrapped up with everything. I don't really play guitar as much for just like technique and learning new things and ideas and and sometimes. You know, i think that can impact you especially when it's time to do solos because then you go back to your your old bag of tricks and you, you don't want to do that you want to expand and kind of find find different things so i have a lot of work to do in the next couple weeks and and i'm searching for inspiration so if you guys have any ideas for for anything get me inspired get back in the flow let me let me know all right because i'm i'm looking for it i'm a little frustrated with myself um i feel like that's with me every other record i do with with Lee Guitars, either I'm like nailing it. Last record, I was nailing it. This record, I'm a <laughs> struggle city, but uh, <laughs> I think it all it will all eventually come together. But anyway, with all that being said, we do have a show sponsor this week. It's a band from San Diego. Yes, the uh the whale whales vagina home itself. Uh, they're called Sight Unseen. And we're going to play a brand new track entitled Base the Truth.
0: all alone now when and how do you-
1: There you have it. That is Face the Truth by Sight Unseen. And just to let you know the way the band uh, name is spelled, it's Sight, normally S-I-G-H-T, and Unseen is like you know, in the metal scene, U-N-S-C-E-N-E. And I really enjoyed that song. I thought that was pretty great, very well produced, and ironically enough, they apparently just recorded a full-length and ep at sparrow sound with josh gilbert and joseph mcqueen who are also producing co-producing the bad wolves album so there you go that's why it sounds pretty great um i don't know if that last one you know that's a that song i said it's new but it's actually from 2020 from their self titled album and apparently that song has i saw it on spotify like over 2 million streams and 3 million worldwide so that's pretty big deal and they're obviously doing something right and apparently did that with very little promotion and it's all word of mouth they you know they shared the stage with trivium 36 crazy fist wage war parkway drive and many many more if you want to support them i would head over to their facebook page which is facebook.com backslash site unseen remember how that's spelled and uh thank you to guy- those guys for sponsoring the show if you like to sponsor the show Get up in the DMs or shoot me an email at thexmanpodcast at gmail.com. Remember, that is EX. Might take a couple weeks to get on, but, um, you know, I'm going to be getting back on doing a lot more stuff with the show in the next few weeks once I get these AM guitar solos done. But the show must go on, and we got we got some good shows coming up. Anyway, without a further ado, a little quick intro for our guests back on the show for a second time. Sorry, I just bumped my mic here, <laughs> uh, Mr. Rob Arnold from from Chimera, probably one of uh, you know the most popular shows I did when I when I first had him on here, and I just wanted to do a nice little catch up with him because it, it had been a while, and Chimera was doing a reunion shows, and he announced his solo band, and you know he's just you know one of one of the good guys, one of the one of the people I I really find to be a kindred spirits with in this uh, in this industry, and he's just a great human being, so. I know you guys are going to enjoy hearing him but For again. So without a further ado, enjoy this conversation with the great Rob Arnold. You're someone who clearly needs no um, uh, motivation to kind of keep up with the times and, and constantly like evolve with like these different uh, spaces to kind of put our like content and music and everything out there so yeah some guys li- like me
2: and you you know even after the band the x-men we still find a way find a niche a niche you know a lane and stuff like that and so that's cool i'm, I'm enjoying this uh i feel like i didn't really like talk about chimera or music really for a long for many years and um then just kind of just jumped into this and it's great because there's there was a built-in audience ready to go and stuff so it gave me kind of a, a place to jump from you know and and uh it grows slowly, but it's it's fun. It, it grows enough, as I'm sure you know, to keep you engaged. Like, you you know, at, at any moment, if you feel like kind of giving up, something good happens where you're like, ah, oh, and then you just keep pushing, keep grinding. And That's really the only way, you know, there really are no secrets unless you just get super lucky somehow, which everybody does every once in a while, but it's really just grinding. And you start to see, you know, the, the fruit of that labor, you know, kind of kind of blossom after a little bit of time. And so that's, that's rewarding, enough rewarding to keep you going, you know?
1: Well, so... This is your second time on the X-Man, and so, you know, it's, I just had um, Brandon Schipetti from uh, Bleeding Through, like, back on. So sometimes you need, like, because you do the X-Man show, and half the time, you're like, I'll bring someone on, and it's like, yeah, the X-Man, you know, that's my old band. But then the band gets back together. Yeah. <laughs> and and so I like to, I like, you know, I think this is a perfect time to do, like, a catch-up, because it really, it's you know, it's two things. You just released uh, your solo record, Magnitude, which is yeah. amazing, by the way. Congratulations! Thanks, you. Um, and Kamira just announced another pair of reunion shows. Um, right. So it's like there's a there's a lot to talk about. And I, I just looked it up. The last time we spoke, I guess was 2019. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's been you know you know two and a half years something something or no three and a, almost three and a half something like that. I can't even count. The general Uh, point is, it's been a while. It's (laughs) tough, but the pandemic just has
2: skewed time. The space-time continuum. and Everything seems shorter, longer, whatever. But one quick question. What number podcast would be? You mentioned, like, the first hundred. Like, what are you at now?
1: I'm at two... I just did my 217, which for the amount of years I've been doing it isn't that many, but... You know compared to like like because josta he'll do like you know when he was pumped he'd do like two or three a week sometimes when he was like really cranking him out and i just never um you know if i could get him out once a week that would be like a blessing but i think part of it is because i do everything i do all the booking i do all the editing i do you know the the promo so it's you know where him i'm sure he's just like recording it and then Everyone else handles everything else. Um, yeah, you know, and do you so,
2: do you do it all yourself because that's the way you want it, or because it hasn't grown big enough to where you need to uh, ask for outside help, or both?
1: Some of it, I just feel like, you know, like there's certain things with like editing, for example. It's like only I would know. Oh, this piece needs to come out, or like, mm-hmm. oh, this person. I don't know. It's it's like I I just have it down to like a science. And the thing that really makes it time consuming is I listen to every episode after yep. so if it's a two hour show that's two hours of my time and i i noticed uh on when i was on tour this last european tour sometimes i just wouldn't have time to listen to it and i just like okay yeah fuck it hopefully i didn't miss it. <laughs> right and so if you don't do that part of it like the real like let me listen to the whole thing and kind of relive the uh the, the the conversation which is fun for me because that's like almost my chance to like enjoy the show as if i was a listener totally um but also like i do the same thing but i also it's a, a that's really informative for me if i can tell if i'm doing a bad like certain shows right maybe i'm talking too much maybe i'm not clear with my maybe i'm my questioning isn't my interviewing needs work or whatever like it's a way to constantly go am i doing a good job what can i work on can i work on my diction can i work on my setup can I work on not making about me you know all that shit dude I'm gonna
2: tell you something funny that uh a a moment where um that stuck out in my mind that I that I I wanted to yell at you uh while listening to the podcast (laughs) you were you were interviewing David Elfson and he was talking about um he, he had just gotten to the part where he was talking about they were building their studio for countdown to extinction and they had like just moved to Arizona and they found the perfect spot or something like that and then you jumped in like and and like got distracted in like a little tangent and changed the subject i was like no no i want to hear that
1: so bad <laughs> you know just him talking about that you know it was funny okay i i am uniquely embarrassed about that episode and the here's the reason why so i had that was on Shiprocks uh oh. and i set my gear up on Shiprock, and i'm like i'm gonna try and get as many interviews as i can like i got ben weinman from dillinger i got clint lowry like great episodes and i talked to to dave and he was like oh maybe we can work it out but he never confirmed he texted me at one in the morning and i was out partying (laughs) i was fucked up yeah right so i was like (sighs) <sighs> let me shake it off and so i listened back to that and especially the first half i'm just like motor mouth idiot like it's one of my like i'm so annoyed at myself you know but it technically it's not my fault because i was not prepared, prepared. I, I hear you i hear you and really he didn't do.
2: come across that way i i, I never thought the sounded fucked up or anything but i know everybody's got their own insecurities i'm i'm insecure about uh our first podcast we did i was i was nervous about it and i'll tell you i don't I don't really have a big explanation for this, but I, I was expecting something different. I want to say that, I don't know why, but I thought you were going to be like, um, like a, like a, almost like, I don't even know how to say it, a rock star or something like that. Like you had been all of a sudden, you know, Bad Wolves blew up. You guys were doing, on a big tour, it might have been with like Papa Roach or something, um, you know, playing great stuff and everything. But sure enough, as to be, you were the exact same Doc Coyle from all the years, and I appreciated that. But I was, I was almost a little bit thrown off by that, or maybe I built myself up with nervousness too much. I, d- I just didn't know what to expect, and, and um, I haven't listened to that in years. But I listened to it afterwards and stuff. And there's, I could just tell that there's so many uhs and thinking and, and, and really that was my first like kind of interview since Kamira came back together, and you know I didn't know know everything to say and all that. But anyways, we're our own worst enemies with that kind of stuff, and you know we always think it's
1: worse than it is. Well, listen, that, I probably felt the exact same way because to me, like, what this show was built for was to have conversations like that and connect with someone like you who, you know, we hadn't been in touch in a while. You hadn't really put your story out there. And, too, that was like a big, you know, for this show, it was a big show. A lot of people listened to that. Um, And, you know, so it's, for me, it's like when I was walking the show like that, I, it's like, I feel like I have this responsibility to present that story and give you the platform to kind of like speak what you want to get out there, and so you know, so I think it was great, and I was just I was just happy to see you and fucking yeah, no doubt. Out. So that was great. I was bummed I didn't get to
2: stay for the show too, and I've been waiting for an opportunity when you guys are gonna roll back again. T- tell us a little bit about everything, man. The, the the God forbid show looked like it went awesome. Was it one or two shows?
1: It was two shows.
2: Two two shows. Yeah, I just saw some posts from you today about it. it. Looked like it was a killer time, huh?
1: Dude, it went, I mean, some of the best shows we've ever played, to be honest. Nice. Um, and having, you know, Nick Hippa play, he just, just nails it. Dude, he's a great guy, but, like, just, you know, the sound of the band, is, it hasn't sounded this good in a really long time. Um, cool. And, you know, and when you have that intensity from the crowd and, you know, and also I just, I don't know, I always felt like God Forbid was the eternal support band and to, like, have events that can be fo- centrally focused on us um it like i don't know it just magnifies everything and makes everything better and more palpable and you know yeah it was it's it was it was great it was a lot of work uh, especially for myself i was kind of like the orchestrator of, of of a lot of the stuff so it was stressful somebody's got to do it and someone, uh, i'm sure the guys are are grateful that that you took it by the reins yeah and it's just it was just we only had two months really to prepare from the moment we booked it so and i was on tour <laughs> so so it's like and in europe so i was working kind of like you know two jobs basically that you know during, during that time so but anyway enough about me it went, it went great that i just did a q a episode so they got to hear me talk about it <laughs> oh yeah with with who with no i just with- i take um Fan submitted questions and then i oh, okay. I, just, I just did a whole episode answering questions that was the last oh, okay. episode i'll
2: have to check that out i didn't i didn't know about that yeah. i'll just one one last point um about that if it makes you feel any better Kamira has also felt that we've been just always in the opening band purgatory mm-hmm. in a sense and uh i remember this this time i think we we're uh the electric factory in philly we we're playing with Hatebreed. And Tim Bohr was there. He was our agent at the time. And both those guys said to us, like, you guys gotta break out of this somehow. You know, you just gotta start headlining. And that didn't really like click with us at the time where we were like, how are we gonna do that? Or Tim, you're our agent, make that happen or something. You know what I mean? And just kind of, we just kind of like never got over that hill. So I know exactly what you mean. You know, just that that purgatory of, we, we internally, we call ourselves like the greatest support band, you know, or something like that, that, you know, we can help out any show. Uh, by being there. But uh, I think it was probably because like 2008, maybe. Yeah, right after that time, actually, we tried to, but the economy had just taken a big hit and the, the tours like failed, like a couple back-to-back failure tours and we were just like, ugh. And that was probably actually the the like, the like start of the decline of Kamira at that time, you know, because with bad shows and less money, you know, has everybody gets starts to get a bad attitude, more inner turmoil within a band and just things start to unravel, you know. It's, it's unfortunate.
1: Yeah, man, but it's... It's, it all. It all comes around. You're having no problem. From what I hear, you're having no problem selling tickets to these reunion shows, right? Yeah. Have they sold Great out for
2: that? Uh, the first, the the second show of the two. It's a Friday, Saturday night. The second show uh, sold out pretty much immediately, and that makes sense now. Uh, you know, just thinking because everybody had had off, have off that day. So many people traveling from across the world. Um, you know, so it's it's just easier on a Saturday, and uh, I haven't heard in a while, but last I heard, there was just a handful of tickets left for Friday night. So, um, you know, there's there's no doubt both shows are gonna be totally killer. And yeah, we're grateful for that, that we can just reemerge like this and
1: people are stoked. So, see, see God was, forbid did a reunion. You know what I'm saying? Them shows didn't sell out in a day. All right. Kamira, though, you know what? Immediately. Well, I looked at the venue, 2,000 capacity, so 4,000 tickets. All right. See, they eating good or, or, during those shows. <laughs> all right. Me, I had to grind to sell some tickets. See, that's the difference between Kamira and God forbid. Kamira, an internationally renowned brand, okay? All right. People are people are ready. All right. <laughs> Maybe we just have like one more album or something, you know. That's I don't know. Well, no, but it's it's actually interesting to me because, you know, when God forbid broke up, um, you know, there was meat on the bone, and I I could see a path towards uh you know getting, you know writing the ship and getting, you know, and, and, and building it, but it was at a much lower you know, phase, you know, in terms of interest. And now that's like completely gone the other way. And, you know, and this is how it is with kind of you go away, nostalgia sets in all this stuff. There's renewed interest, but I think out of all the bands of that era that put it down and and took time off, whether it was us or shadows fall or bleeding through, Kamira was bigger, I think, than all those bands. And I think like, if you guys actually, you know, wanted to dip your toe in a more serious way, whether that's, you know, doing some festivals or, you know, doing a small tour, I think it would actually be really successful. Especially if it was like, you know, if Kamira, Shadows Fall and God forbid did something, like that would be a big deal, right? That'd be so fun. Yeah, that'd be great, man. you know, especially, like, if you kind of aligned all that stuff. Um, but, I, you know, it's, you know, like, we're on tour, Bad Wolves, and it's like, you know, we do that thing where it's like, before the show, you put on music to get hyped to, and it's like, you know, we still put on fucking Chimera and get fucking, like, the the fucking material holds up, and it's still sick. You That's know? awesome to hear, man. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, that, you, you know something has legs, right? If you go back to it, it it's still kind of scratches the uh, the itch in the same way. And, and like, like I said, I mean, being able to sell four thousand tickets pretty quick that ain't no joke that's a that's a big deal i mean do you guys ever like see the mushroom head motherfuckers in the streets and like (laughs) square off like anchorman you know and go like to fight over who's the king of 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 cleveland that's that's a funny visual we did a show together our only one
2: it was actually called the kings of cleveland show it was at that place where where um uh where i came and saw you it was called nautica at the time i can't remember what it's called now plain dealer pavilion something like that but um, but it was that was killer. But um, it, it's all we've always just kind of kind of had like a a weird relationship with with Mushroomhead because they just kind of do their thing. We've done our thing. We've, all, we've always been cool. But early on, all the young bands, this back when we were first starting, ninety nine, two thousand, all the young bands from Cleveland would go under that Mushroom Head umbrella and Mushroom Head would bring them on shows and they try to build their name that way and stuff. And it, it, it worked for a lot of bands. But we just never went that route. Um, not that we said we're not going to. We just were just on our own trajectory. And, um, and then there was like some animosity even because they were so mad at Slipknot and then, and that we were, and then that we got signed a Roadrunner, So all of a sudden we're Roadrunner or we're a label mates with Slipknot. So that like, they didn't like that. So we heard through the grapevine, you know, and we kind of just, didn't really talk for a while and stuff. Actually, I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but they they invited us in early on to do a song for a compilation they were going to do, in, and Jim had a Slipknot sticker on his case, and they got pissed about that. You know, they were like, get, the, get that sticker off there or something like that. And then it, it kind of turned bad, and the song never went on the compilation, and uh, it was just weird. But everybody's everybody's cool now. And those guys, I, I give them a lot of credit, man. I mean, they, they find a way just to keep doing it. You know they'll just pop up on some tour somewhere you know with crazy town and uh what uh, you know uh, icp or something like that you know or some european tour they just they just keep going man
1: yo mushroom head has yeah. fans dude yeah. i they played when god forbid did our reunion at blue ridge for some reason they put us above all these big bands they put us above Reich and mushroom head and fucking chelsea grin right they played middle of the day biggest crowd of the whole day well, people were chanting their name. like people were losing their minds and they sounded sick they i actually went and i watched some of the footage I was like dude man fucking mushroom has got some bangers all right yeah yeah and they put a lot of time
2: and, and effort into their production you know yeah. that, that shows so yeah then
1: they they got a thing i think or, they do I, all well, the theatrics
2: f- themselves make all those masks
1: everything but I'm wondering: Is now as MGK is he the king of Cleveland now? Does he win? Does he win the title? Probably, but we don't consider.
2: Well, I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know if I can speak for everybody, but we don't consider him part of the scene or anything, no. or part of our scene. You know what I mean? No. And like all that stuff that happened, I don't know what was that a year and a half ago where there was like some beef with him and Slipknot. So yeah. immediately to to the metalheads of Cleveland, he's the, he's got to get the fuck out of here. You know, like what is. Well, What's he going to go up against Slipknot and hope to win that, you know what I mean, against a, a Cleveland metal crowd or anything? No way. So, I don't know. It's cool, though. He does have MGK as, like, the—I th- I don't know if it's on his chest or what. I saw it one time, but he's got the Interstate 71 big tattooed on his chest or whatever. So, that's that's cool. Everybody
1: in Cleveland respects that. I, res- I, res- I respect it. So, it's Mushroomhead, Kamira, Bone Thugs, MGK, yep. the big four. Man, we, we, we've got some names from Cleveland. I'm, I'm proud of it. It's a little, you know— Podunk I represent. Of Proud of it. Bone Thugs represents the two in the music a lot, which I respect. So, yeah, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> so it's uh, first of the month. So I really want to talk about this this, this solo record. You know, you, you sent it to me, and the first thing I noticed out the gate, it sounds great. Did you, you did sir. you did you produce it? I did. So you okay? You know you know a thing or two about twirling those uh those those knobs so let see i need see i need to start watching these videos so i can so i'm sure <laughs> you're teaching all the all the tricks of the trade. Yeah, so man. i need i need i need to learn it so it, it sounds great and the thing that stuck out to me was this kind of sounds like chimera just without vocals so yeah. it's like your sound is i guess when you write music this is is kind of what comes out I think so. Absolutely. Um, I
2: didn't try to do anything really different with it. And, um, and plus the fact that it had handles on there. So, you know, that, that just makes up so much of our, our sound and his, his mastery of, uh, I think he's got like a, some, some dream theater to him where he just writes cool parts. You know, there's lots of talented skilled drummers out there, but guys that can just write signature type stuff. You know, there's only a few of them, and and I think Andles falls in that category. So that really lent a lot to Camera Sound over the years, and then again now did um, with the album magnitude. But uh, man, I really appreciate hearing that you think it sounds great because that's just important to me as as people liking the songs because, you know, just created it all myself. But just over the past few years, just been trying to practice and learn and um, everything I can. Uh, I always paid attention in the studios when Camaro was making records. You know, I wish now that I'm doing this that I would have asked more questions and stuff back in the day. But, you know, me, Mark, you know, we were the guys that were just there all day, no matter what, you know, watching what what the engineers were doing, things like that. And um, so I knew I wanted to do it. Kind of after the band and prepared for that, and always knew that I wanted to do it to be able to make records myself because I wouldn't, I wasn't going to have a record label to fund it, so I needed to try to beat the system and figure out how to do it to myself. So do it for myself. Um, so all these years later, it, it finally happened. Those songs were written years ago, and then I sat in them for years because I couldn't just dedicate all the time to just make an album without paying the bills and stuff like that. So uh, it was a slow process that I chipped away with over year over the years, but just over this last year, I finally you know, dug in and said, I got to finish this thing. I've been talking about it for too long Been making people wait for too long. I got to get this out here. So really feels good to have it done. It seems like the vibe around it is just excellent. People are really digging it. Of course, there's haters that want vocals and stuff like that, but I wanted to do one instrumental record like this. I think I'll do more solo records, uh, perhaps with vocals on them, whether it's like different guys per song or I'm thinking maybe of dedicating one album with one singer, then another album with another singer. Same with switching up drummers. Uh, stuff like that. So uh, the sky's the limit now. I just feel really accomplished getting it out there, and now it's, I'm already thinking about the next one.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, I can definitely understand the frustration from a fan standpoint because you can definitely listen to stuff and go, "Well, why wasn't this on this Kamira <laughs> album?" Or, or you yeah. you can you can definitely or see see now. I'm just like I feel like I'm Josta right now, where I'm like pitching you stuff. I get some ideas off the fly. You, you could can have, have this. You have this version right, and then you mm-hmm. get the the mark hunter edition remix where you have like the instrumental and then you get one you go mark just just spit the fire on it all right just go to town and then you resell it and you take take that old you know chicken shit turn it into chicken salad not that it's chicken shit because it's not it's great but i'm just you know you you do you refab you know you keep keep redoing that shit.
2: right i actually thought of a cool like business approach to it too because that that is a great idea um, and, you know, some some guys, um, no one in particular, but, you know, they want money up front for their time to do a, to do a guest spot, sure. especially a whole song, stuff like that. So I kind of thought just brainstorming maybe to be cool if I did present uh, something to, to somebody like, let's just take Mark, for example. OK, I've got this song or choose one, whatever. But let's say I got this song I want you to sing on. Uh, it's already out and registered, you know, with you know, at Spotify, all that kind of stuff. But this would be a new version of it. And rather than an upfront payment, uh, any compensation upfront, I'll just register it completely in your name. So that, you know, so it it uh, motivates them to put everything they have into it because you'll make 100% of the proceeds from that version of it. And I'll keep my ver- version of it and stuff. Everybody wins, you know? So it's kind of a business model I'm I'm kind of stewing with right now in my mind. And I can present that to different vocalists and whatever, you know.
1: Well, I'm I just think it's impressive. I think it's like... The solo album in many ways is like, you know, someone writing a book, right? It's something you talk about or you think about and, you know, especially with someone like you where you're, even though you had angels play drums on it, it's a pursuit that pretty much comes mainly from you, right? Like, it's not like, you know, some singers will do a solo record, but they have to kind of outsource Maybe the instrumentals or maybe they'll write it with other people. But this is really coming from you. So I think just to have that like in your catalog, on your resume, something you could like put on your kind of mantelpiece like, hey, I did this thing that represents who you are. I think that's just a really um, it's a wonderful accomplishment. So just just congrats on that in general. Thank you very much. And
2: the biggest the biggest accomplishment of that is that people are interested in it because anybody can make a record and put it on their mantle you know, and say that I did that or whatever, but uh, to have people genuinely show interest in it and and love it and tell people about it and things like that is is the most gratifying part of it, I think.
1: Well, I'm sure a lot of that has to do with you uh, moving into the content creator space and kind of cultivating uh, a viewership, you know, of people that are like, okay, this is Rob, I, I know his work from this, and then now you're actually giving them something, and there's not like there's a new Camero record for them to enjoy, so this is kind of like something that can fill that that void for, for the Kamira fan who's been kind of connected to what you've been doing. Definitely, and I hope it can as well, and I won't say that uh,
2: new Kamira material, while we're not talking about it, is completely off the table, but there's a very good chance that we may never have it, but um, there may be, and as you know, just how difficult it is. We all know in Chimera that that people want more music, but um, like you guys, I'm sure we're not not a band that's just going to throw something together just because. There's going to be so much planning and stewing to to make that happen. And we've actually tried. Um, maybe you heard, you know, we were we were kind of geared up after that last show. Things were great, as you know, you guys. Like God forbid, is probably fired up right now. Um, but at that time, then the pandemic hit, and it just wiped everything out. You know, everybody just. It just stopped completely. So now, for these shows, it's re-getting everything going again. And so, as you know, how much work that took to put it all together. Uh, what, what, what's your feeling right now after those shows? Are you guys gonna
1: keep pushing? You don't know. So we have we're doing the Headbangers' Boat with uh, oh, sweet. with Lamb of God and Mastodon and awesome and all and all that. Um, so that's really the only thing on the ledger right now. And uh, everything else, I mean, one it's one step at a time. I know. know, And there, and there's, you know, there's stuff behind the scenes that doesn't make everything as smooth as you would like it to be because it's different personalities. It's different people's lifestyles have evolved and it's not necessarily, you know, and, and understanding how that can all work together. Uh, You know, I I can't act unilaterally in any way. It it really has to involve everyone. Everyone has to be on board. And I'm sure you guys deal with the same thing, even though I think you guys are more centrally located. We are literally not one person lives in the same place, except me, you know, Corey moved to Las Vegas. So at least Corey can come out to L.A., you know, and it's a one-hour flight. And me, him, and Nick can at least meet up and jam, which is not too hard to do and not too expensive. Um, But outside of that, doing like full band rehearsals and stuff, it's like, you know, it's expensive, man. Like just, you know, it's like just the flights, right? (laughs) To get us all to, to, to one place is like, Twice as much money as Godfrey used to get paid to like play like a headline show back in the day, just right. the flights alone, right? So, right. so the band, even though like the offers are way up and the money is way more than it used to be, so much. I mean, basically, like this last show, the expenses are so much. If it wasn't for merch, we would have barely made any money, you know, because it, it was that. But we, what well, we did invest in the show, we invested in lights and invested in uh you know having a production day and and having our sound guy bring his board and you know we definitely made sure that we could put on as high quality a show as possible you know and so that's gonna and the same thing with the first the first reunion we like spent some money on having someone come in and professionally record it and so so we'd have it preserved and that we could kind of share that moment with everyone things like that i think you gotta can't just be about the money grab it's gotta It's got, you got to put some investment into it for things that will pay off down, down the line, even maybe not even money, just like I wanted to capture that show. So I wanted to, I wanted to have that memory, you know, and, and be able to share it with people, you know,
2: for sure. And and you made it to that point, but everything it took to get to that point, you know, you talking about the, the flights just for rehearsal and the expense and all that. And all that is only scratching the surface of the behind the scenes obstacles that bands like us, older legacy bands now with guys spread out all over the country or world are faced with when we try to put something together. Here's a quick little thing, like imagine, or think back to when you first started the band, God forbid, uh, you know, or, or when you started getting going, everybody was all in, that was your lives and that's what you did, you know, rehearsal, rehearse, record, tour, repeat, you know, and that's, that's what we all did. And that's what we were fortunate enough to, to fall into because of our, our hard work, a lot of luck, and, and people liking the music. But what we would be foolish to think now that we wouldn't have to go all in again. See, that's the thing right now. Why, what makes it so difficult for guys in our situations is that, okay, so you can dip your toe in and do a show or whatever. But if you, you want to get it back to where it was, everybody has to be all in just like before or else you can't expect – the same results or even similar results in a much different climate with everything as well. You know, like you said, maybe guarantees are up and all that and, but so is the cost of everything. So
1: yeah, no, for um, sure.
2: Just, just, just a lot of challenges. I understand the fans perspective through the comments and all that is like, how hard is it to get the band back together to go play some music? You know, but well, (laughs) really hard. Yeah, it is, (laughs) you know, (laughs) to get everybody on board with that and present the, uh, present it the way that we want it to be presented and sound, you know, just that's it's just a lot I'm, I'm not complaining or trying to make excuses or anything but uh you, you really everybody
1: just has to be all in I yeah think. i mean I, I have to say this now that you know it It was really difficult but there's no greater feeling than having something really really difficult and then actually at the end of it feel like you met the challenge and, yeah. you, and then you go oh this is a, is a success and I, I was explaining this to someone where God forbid was not a band that had a lot of unequivocal successes. All our success was kind of like mixed with crappy things. It was like, everything was bittersweet through much Mm -hmm. of our career. It was like always one step forward and two steps back. It was, it always felt that way. And, but all this stuff, it's been, there's really, you know, you can, you can nitpick and go, Oh, this little thing, or, Oh, maybe we could have saved a few bucks here or whatever. But overall, you're like, this was an unequivocal success for us. And, and the main biggest part of that is the enthusiasm is yeah. how psyched people are and that's something where you're like man that's cool that's something that to this degree wasn't always like that and then you go and yet that kernel is a big motivator and you get kind of like you like oh i want i want to approach that again or like and mm-hmm. and also i have to say playing the music getting in a room and playing the music you i have a bigger appreciation for our music and i like i you know i i almost have it's almost weird like you almost approach it like it's not your band you're like you're hearing it like a fan Mm. (laughs) you know in some ways where where you're like man this music is sick yeah yeah. (laughs) because you've been away from it so you're and then you know and then and also the power of chemistry right like when you get the that group of people in a room together they're like whoa there's, it's this is special, and dude, and we're doing it. Like I said, there's no click track, there's no backing tracks. It's just five people in a room making sounds, and that's like refreshing, you know. From you know coming from the battles world, which is more like everything's you know, it's in ears, it's clicks, it's you know, it's all that you know, it's stuff that I'm fine with, but it's you know, it's not my roots.
2: Right. I would imagine that the God forbid stuff is just a lot closer to your heart. That the Wait. material.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm I'm not the main songwriter in Bad Wolves. I contribute, but it's not my vision. And right. God forbid, it's definitely a much more of an expression of my personality, but also everyone else's personality, right? Like everything, it wasn't like I'd be telling Corey what to play on every part or telling John what to play or telling Byron what to sing. Like everyone, it has their, uh, you know, piece of their soul is embedded in in the music. And that just connects to you on a different level.
2: Yeah. Yeah, everything you said there—the um, the enthusiasm and that feeling you get—it's it's just a really nice payoff emotionally. Because on the way up, in the early days, you're just working, working, working. The grass always seems greener, you know. So you just keep hustling. You know, things pass pass you by. Maybe you get a big a big show, but you don't even really notice because you're just thinking about the next one or what steps we can make. And now, as you're older, you get a little bit of payback emotionally, you know. So. That's that's nice that's nice to hear and and I agree and I'm looking forward to uh when we start rehearsals here. Um even even I'm looking forward to the rehearsals just as much as the show, you know, to get back in the room with guys and and you know, play music. I haven't played with a band since the last time we did this in 2017, so it's been 5 years, you know.
1: Well, the last one I couldn't make um I forget it was something was going on. I was I it was just a crazy time cuz I remember you guys were playing doing your reunion with the same time that dillinger Escape plan was doing their last shows and i was gonna like oh maybe i'll come out and fly out and try to hit both and for whatever reason i remember I, I couldn't make it out so i'm hoping i'm not on the road or something and i could come come see this because i you know obviously love you guys and would love to you know we'd love to have you, you yeah. s- definitely let me know it, it'd be amazing it'd be amazing but um and it's gonna more- be in the
2: summertime where that last one we were hit with an enormous blizzard wow um even though that one sold out uh i think somewhere maybe almost a couple hundred people didn't even show because the blizzard was so bad wow. so had you had tried to make that there's a good chance your flight would have been canceled or whatever you know so anyways this one this one's in the summer i'm looking forward to that too because we always do our annual christmas shows in the dead of winter you know which has its own challenges and stuff so th- this one should be
1: cool let us know yeah yeah it would it w- it w- be amazing so before i let you go i just kind of want to actually I have, a, I have a couple questions about this so is uh, is Austin playing drums, or yes. he is playing drums? Okay.
2: So really, Austin's been Kamira's drummer, uh, Austin Diamant, since he joined after Randall's left back in 2011. So I played my last couple tours with him while I was still in Kamira, so we got to play some Kamira stuff together, but I was kind of on my way out at that time. Um, and then we we also have our Elite projects. That's that's how I knew of Austin and, and brought him into Kamira. But then he continued on with Kamira after I left the band until whatever that was, 2013, 2014, when they disbanded. Um, and then we tried to bring Andles back for the uh, the reunion show in 2017, and that didn't work out, unfortunately, because of Andles' health. Uh, so, you know, then we we asked, asked Austin. And, uh, yeah,
1: he's just our, our guy now, you know? Okay, well, I... Want, want, want to clarify that because i was listening to this uh youtube clip you put out with the Andals q a and stuff i just didn't oh want yeah to sure sure of the, the state all that
2: yeah and i i know there's a lot of uh confusion or misconception about this but Andals recorded his tracks for magnitude back when he was still healthy back in 2013 so that's yeah. how long i've been sitting on this wrote the songs in 2012 and uh he recorded his his tracks in 2013 and now we're, we're finally hearing them but um but you know if you didn't know that who could tell no one's going to be like man you know these drum tracks sound
1: a decade old <laughs> <laughs> good thing you held on to those uh those those files um yeah. so, so i wanted to ask you just real quick before i let you go about your kind of foray into like I said being more of a, a i don't know if what you characterize yourself as a content creator a youtuber a uh, online guru <laughs> of, of 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 some sort but um uh, is that like your main gig now or is it just something you do in addition to other things that you do professionally?
2: No, it, it's my main gig. Um, it it on its own, YouTube, isn't enough to support me financially, but I have enough, you know, streams of income um, in my Patreon community, uh, just little little things like that. Um, yeah, that allow me to do this just every day. And, and every day, all I'm thinking about is making music and videos. I don't know that I'd actually call myself a YouTuber, because to me, I've kind of determined, at least in my own mind, that a YouTuber, YouTubers just will make videos about everything, you know, like, um, I don't know if I could give a good example, but I I, I don't want to be like that. I want to make to the point videos about something I'm passionate about, rather than just like, like uh, the Pantera thing is a great example. Uh, if you noticed every single YouTuber makes, made a, uh, uh, some, some multiple videos about that, about, and with, with clickbaity titles, like is Zach wild, really ruining Pantera or something like that. But then you watch the video and all they're doing is praising Zach, you know, because he's doing a great job, those type of things. I don't like that. I've tried it once or twice to do like to, do something clickbaity and it backfires on me. And I almost think that's that's okay. That's good because people sense that all, all of my stuff is genuine and what I talk about is stuff that I, that I believe in. I'm not trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes in any way. Um, so in that regard, I think to be a YouTuber full-time, you have to be willing to do whatever it takes. You know, there's all these, you see all these YouTube channels that are trying to give you ideas of videos to make and stuff. And I don't like, I don't feed on any of that kind of stuff because I want my my ideas to be specific. I'm not just hunting for ideas to, to make my next video, which is what I think of a YouTuber, but I am a content creator, whether it's the videos that I'm releasing once or twice a week and the music that I'm constantly working on and releasing slowly. That's what, what I do. I'm just creating content and that's, that's what I love to do. So especially when people show interest in it.
1: Well, right on well yeah definitely people go out it's uh Rob Arnold world right, that's right. and that's
2: Arnold.com and that's my handle at Rob Arnold world for everything
1: yeah and uh definitely check out his uh his patreon I know you're you're, you're putting out stuff through there and uh I, I just think it's 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 amazing because going back to what we said at the beginning of this of constantly finding new ways to exist and it's like to me it reminds me that I think you're the type of individual that probably would have found success in any era. Because you would have, you know, kind of shoehorned yourself into whatever made sense as a way to express yourself, you know? Right. And and you're not, like, uh, confined to, like, a particular set of tools, you know? and I, And I think that's really admirable. And
2: likewise. I appreciate that. And likewise, you know? Like, yeah, just like we said at the beginning, you know, we're two guys that that have continued with it. I'm glad you found your way as well, and that you're doing cool stuff. And we kind of started in the same pocket of the country, but if you've spread out and now doing it in LA, which is probably
1: harder, you know. So, ah, it's great. I, lo- I love LA. I think it's easier because I think there's more opportunities out here and there's more people out here. You know? Perhaps I, th- I think um, it's just more expensive. That's just the, yeah. the downside. But um, yeah, is there a part of you that Kind of wishes you were still like on the road and 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 playing gigs every night and kind of connecting that way. Or you do you actually prefer kind of sleeping in your own bed and having access to all your gear and being able to like be in that space? Or do you like or, or even maybe miss the c- camaraderie aspect of of touring and things like that? There are definitely things I
2: miss from it. I do I do enjoy being home and I've certainly turned into more more of a homebody. Um, and now I got a couple little beautiful kids and I really can't imagine being away from them for extended periods of time but there definitely is things from the road that I miss that com- camaraderie playing cool shows you know respect to me is is the most valuable thing and when people are really enjoying what you're doing and you know when you see that look on people's faces in the audience um, and you can connect with them on that level and see that you're really just entertaining them or inspiring them that's uh, that's the biggest payback for me. And, um, just that respect is something that I'm, that I'm hungry for all the time. Um, so at times I feel like I'm doing myself and perhaps the people that like my music a disservice by not being out there performing it. So I would like to get out there. My, my, my dream is to is to actually play the Magnitude songs with Andals on stage one day if, if I could and get out there and do that. I've, I've been inspired by uh, Pichucci and Portnoy just doing their thing with Pichucci's album and stuff, and I picture Andals and I doing the same thing. Um, but if Andals can't, maybe I even would, you know, with, with Austin or something. Um, and if if Kamira uh, got their stuff together, I'd love to, to do that again, you know, just... But the way we used to talk about it where it'd be great to just do like uh, a couple one-month tours a year but you couldn't, that wasn't lucrative enough in the back, back in the day, you know, or your managers would say, you can't do it like that. You got to be out there constantly. You got to keep it going and stuff, but maybe that's, that's the way to do it nowadays, you know, if, if possible just to do little runs so that guys can still live their lives that they've built now and the past that they've taken um, and still, still just play. So we'll see. I, I always leave all opportunities open. I'm, I'm always looking for new opportunities I'm waiting for that call from Metallica. Um, if that <laughs> happens, you know, then uh, you'll definitely see me back out there. That's another thing, man, I'm so proud of you for you get, to, I, I'm so stoked every time. I, I love that uh, Trujillo interview you did. I loved hearing how those guys just do music nonstop. You were talking about how, like, after the gig, they go to another gig and play, you know, and, and before the gig, they're playing all day and doing stuff. And, and that's just, you know, it just furthers my love for Metallica and just that, you know, like, so I would think those guys like that that have a level of success would just sit around in their free time or just not do it anymore. But, like, them, Slash, you know, all those guys, they just keep going. It's just in them to just keep doing stuff. And I, I think that's really respectful.
1: Yeah. I mean, what I've what i what I've noticed is the bigger you get, the more you work. And the, the more it, it kind of, like, once you're at that that level – you yeah. kind of see who else is at that level, and you see how hard they're working. I think it's it's very the 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 sports analogy is very keen, where like you hear about um when like they'll have like the dream team, right? When like and then they get when like LeBron got to see how Kobe practiced, yeah, and he goes, "Oh shit, I got to step up my game," you know. So I yeah. think it's probably when you're you know you're Metallica, and then you're going on tour, Guns and Roses, and you're going on, and you're like, "Oh." Oh, slash in there, practice. Okay, I bet, I mean, <laughs> I bet you know, like, I, I wonder if it's if, if if it's like that when you get to these upper echelons. And, dude, it goes further than that. Like, I mean, Rob was telling me about working on the Ozzy record, the new Ozzy record, and how Chad Smith from Red Hot Chili Peppers played on a bunch of that stuff. And Chad is really tight with um, the producer. And he was saying, he's just, dude, he's like, Chad just wants to play drums all day. Mm-hmm. That's so awesome. it's just like he doesn't care. He's like, oh, yeah. and that's just, that's just it. It's like, you know, and that and I think that's yeah. that's amazing. Just being around passionate individuals, it gets it's it's infectious, you know.
2: One hundred percent. Look at Kerry King. He's complaining. He doesn't like sitting at <laughs> home. You know, he's reading that. And he's like, damn, goddamn, threw it in too early. I, my, guys my age are still going in these bands. So there's a perfect example where I mean, he must be thinking, look at the level we got to, and how I just gave that up. You know, you want to stay on that on the mountain, right? Well, here's he's the thing. The
1: can you do Slayer without Tom Mariah? Probably not.
2: I don't think so, but but Gary, you know, there was that talk of his new band or whatever. There's built in instant fan base with that right away, you know. So whoever whoever's gonna be a part of that is lucky and and I think that you should just
1: get it going. Well, I heard it was basically like the lineup with Slayer without really um, you know, basically that lineup, you know, with uh Paul you know, and I, um yeah, Gary. Yeah, Gary, yeah, Paul and Gary. And then, but I also heard maybe Phil Demo was involved. I heard Phil Ensemble's name. So who knows? You know, I guess they, that
2: makes sense. But I, I, I thought maybe I was expecting that it'd be different guys. But that doesn't make sense. That you know, yeah. you just play with the guys you're comfortable with.
1: Well, it's like, uh, come on! I mean, you can't can't go wrong with those those dudes. That'd be sick. You know, I mean, I right? you know. But uh, you know, I know there is something coming from that sometime soon. But you know, it, yeah, I don't listen. Rob Arnold taking ten years to put out a record. You can't talk nothing about Carrie's album, right? <laughs> right, that's right. I certainly cannot. So yeah. take your time, Mister King. Well, as I say, you only get one shot at a first impression, so I I understand the uh the 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 want to take your time and make sure it's it's right. Indeed.
0: Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of
1: that podcast? think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot and
2: listen to Axe Grind podcast. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Atari's and currently host of that one time on tour, part of the sound talent media podcast network.
1: So please subscribe to Numb the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform. And we hope to see you further on up the road.
0: Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you. All
1: right. Well mm-hmm. listen, Rob, I, I really appreciate you coming back It's funny, I was gonna do like a quick hit, like, oh, we'll do like thirty minutes, but you and I I don't think we can do that. I think we we uh we 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 we, we love mixing it up, so for sure, I could keep going for hours, man. If uh, and, and I know you could too, you know. So absolutely, man. Listen, I'm just, I'm, I'm just great to have you on. I'm great to, to to catch up with you. I'm, I'm so happy. You're just, you got a lot of stuff happening. You got a lot of stuff in the pot. You're mixing it up, and, uh, and you know, people just check out Rob's stuff. Check out the record. It's, it's great. It's like the Kamira album you never got, and you just have to like just imagine Mark laying down some, some hot fire. Over it, all right? Or don't, or just absorb it for what it is, which is Rob Rob and Andal's just crushing it. And by the way, so it's a song, I think I'm gonna play this song. I think it's called Mercury. Mm, You just, you do this solo like midway through that gets me hyped up. I had to, I I was listening today, I had to rewind it because it got me so hyped up. Damn i appreciate that man i moved doc i like that
2: listen man when you got it you got it all right (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you and thanks for having me on doc it was a pleasure speaking to you again i'd love to do it again i told you before and i'll say it again i'm proud of you i'm proud of everything you're doing and uh wish you the best of luck um what what, what's next more bad wolves
1: um bad wolves yeah we go in the studio tomorrow uh trying to finish this new record and uh we got some shows in April in Florida, with some radio shows, and then, yeah, and then all I have is that, that God forbid show in, in October. But I don't, I don't know if Bad Wolves is going to tour for real anytime soon because I think we just might be like, you know, ending our last album cycle and kind of focusing on 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 the next one, which I'm actually fine with. We we grinded pretty hard uh, last year, and I was exhausted at the end of the year. Oh, I loved your. Um...
2: I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was a, a, a tweet or, or Instagram or something like that. You had been in Europe for so long, and, and you said when you get home, and it was some guy just like kissing the ground or something.
1: Well, it was well. The funny thing it was, it was a scene from Robin Hood, uh, Prince yeah, of yeah, Thieves, yeah. right? Yeah. And and all these, and this is what's so dumb about the internet is people go, well, ironically, he's actually kissing the ground of England, and they thought I was dissing Europe. Which I wasn't at all. Like I loved Europe. I loved being in Europe. I had a great time. I loved it. Those shows looked insane, dude. Huge, right? And I loved being there. It was just but just being two months away from home, wherever your home is, when you're gone for two months, it's a long time. And and I had literally been we did a did five, we did six weeks, had a month off and went right into that. So it's like really like out of five months or whatever it was, like I was. But you gone
2: have to for, do it. You have to do it to understand. And no matter how great Europe is, and how great food and scenery and all that kind of stuff is, if you're away for too long, you still miss American food. You miss American air. You miss American water. I have to say, everything.
1: I did not miss American food. Like I like the no? food. Do we had the best catering in history? And it was the same catering company. Like it was, like literally, like every meal was like a fifty dollar. Sweet, at, at like a restaurant. So, and I I miss the coffee, right? And the pastries. Like there are certain things. I'm sorry. Like now I'm just like I feel like I need to get some European coffee machine, because I just like I it's it's good. It's just not hitting the same way. It's like it's like a it's like a a a a drug that I'm yeah. I'm, I'm like I need to get back to. So there's certain things I love about Europe. Like and actually the older i get i just you you go in europe and these towns are just so beautiful and picturesque and there's just an energy when you're there and you feel like you know you feel like a world traveler you feel like you're cultured and and you're like i just I was like man i just wish i was rich and i could just yeah. go to like this town in switzerland and just wear yeah. a scarf and be on the mountain and you know and you just and do like european shit like you i feel like i appreciate that more as i get older you know just just the little things
2: 100 percent. i know i'd have a different appre- appreciation for it now if i ever had the opportunity to go back so i hear you it's all
1: getting to experience that it all lives up to the hype like every place you go to you like you're in rome or you're like in milan or you're in you know some you know just you know certain parts of france you're just like man it's exactly what you you know the 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 um you know just all the the excitement about it and the the To give
2: some context, though, you got to admit, it's a much different experience doing it in big, big uh, places with a big band rather than when we were first going in 2003 or four or whatever like that. And people's like, oh, dude, how's Paris? It must be great. I don't know. We were parked in the back alley near a dumpster all day. And the only thing I saw was
1: the dressing room and uh, this old ass bus. Well, the only difference. Here's the difference, though. With those tours, they'd be like no days off. So you no time. And you were dirt. You had to have no money. So nice. even if you couldn't go anywhere. So this tour, I have like a little more money, but and we had tons of day off, but days off, but it was like so many days off that if I went out and went on the town every day, then I would definitely have no money. Mm. So <laughs> you had to pick your pick your spots. You know, yeah, but 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 yes you you are absolutely correct. Um it you know the the environment and uh having the the latitude to be able to explore is definitely definitely helpful um yeah. all right well listen buddy i'm gonna i'm gonna get out of here i really appreciate your time it's great hanging out with you um just stay in touch and uh just anything you need or whatever and hopefully i can i can come out to that show i'm gonna cross my fingers we'll see definitely let me know and uh I'll, i'm gonna do all i can to
2: hit a bad wolf show when you guys come through thanks doc talk to you man be Cheers. safe out there
1: you too peace just heard the track Mercury, which is from Rob Arnold's brand new solo album entitled Magnitude. This was the song I was talking about with him where he's shredding in that solo. I love that solo in the middle of the track and uh, it's a really good album. And if you're a fan of Rob's Chimera, go check it out. I definitely highly recommend it. Thank you to Rob for checking in with the X-Men. You're always welcome here. One of those guys I could probably talk to every day actually spoken to him today when i was actually recording this um which was much a few weeks after we did the actual interview but um yeah that was a lot of fun so this is a two-part episode to kind of continue this little partnership i've been having with uh the 2020 show Uh, i've been bringing on members of that podcast to kind of discuss some current events and uh this i guess this story that we're talking about here um kind of just like artists struggling and having a tough time making money and getting by and a lot of just stories going around about this subject matter so I brought Siobhan Cronin from the 2020 podcast also from the band uh, Star Set and Lost Symphony and she is badass and so check out this segment I don't know I feel like we should come up with a name for it but it's just it's really fun to kind of chop it up about some of the stuff going on in the music news so Without further ado, here's my conversation with Siobhan Cronin. All right. We have uh, Siobhan Cronin, a uh, violinist extraordinaire and uh, co-podcast host of the 2020 podcast and also plays with Lost Symphony and with Star Set. Welcome back to the show.
3: Thank you, Doc. It's great to be on your show. Love your show. Love when you're on our show. It's so great that we're partnering up to do some of this. Yeah, co-hosting, sharing our stories. It's it's great to be here.
1: Well, yeah, and and the way I'm I'm kind of doing this is bringing you guys in individually to kind of talk about some things that are topical because I, I I do feel like there are stories that kind of permeate through the scene that you know really are worth kind of figuring out the temperature of of, of what's going on and and. I thought the subject today I want to speak with you about is essentially there is been a bunch of commentary uh, on social media, specifically from fairly established artists, you know, complaining. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but you know, they're, they're giving their grievances about the kind of state of touring and the financial aspect. Uh, One of the first big ones was uh, Bad Omens essentially who was like taking off as a band they just sold out every show on their entire tour amazing and, yeah amazing incredible and uh they essentially complained or that the uh venue was using their song titles as like specialty drinks but not giving them a cut of the bar and yet the venue was still giving taking 20 percent of their merch sales and they felt like you know just out to just quote them uh just to be clear. We don't want a cut of your bar sales. We just don't want to give you twenty percent of the merchandise we design, pay for, manage, set up, carry, and sell ourselves because you gave us twenty-four square feet of floor space in your <laughs> venue. We sold out. Uh, oh snap! <laughs> yeah, it's it's pr- it's pretty cutting. And then uh, you know Craig from Straight from the Path uh, chimed in, you know, essentially giving a list of a bunch of things that he just feels like aren't fair about the industry in general in terms of streaming services not paying money, uh managers perhaps putting pressure on bands to do long drives through the snow, uh kind of ticketmaster monopoly, a lot of a lot of different things and then uh Devin Townsend uh, the great Devin Townsend who was, who's on this show, you know, chimed in essentially saying, I don't think he was actually responding to the bad omens thing. He was just kind of putting his own stuff out there, you know, talking about, you know, because of the ta- the cost of touring now with inflation, the cost of gasoline and diesel plus of course the pandemic, we've lost a ton of really good venues. I'd say probably 50% of the workforce and touring is now left. Cause what's a guitar tech going to do for two years? You have to get a job. Um, you know, and he's also bringing up uh, the merch, the merch sales, or I'm sorry, the merch percentages that they take, and then also Dino Kazari's from Fear Factory chimed in saying they were going to p- perhaps go in a van. So I, I know you're not the uh, the numbers logistics person uh, with Star Set, but you know you do a fair amount of touring, and that is a big part of your lifestyle and your kind of career. Um, so I would say just just to kind of kick this off. Do you uh, connect with any of these statements or do you have you noticed anything different or maybe even heard from some of the opening bands on your tours or anything like that, you know, that you feel like, uh, you know, corresponds to your experience?
3: Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's interesting because I learned a lot having joined Star Set because I come from the classical world where. You know, everything you're playing, you're almost like a residency type thing. You're playing in theaters and a lot of the money's coming from donors. So the whole way everything works, you know, you're not dealing with tour buses and logistics and agents and promoters. And I think there's this large mystery among people that go to see live music that somehow we're making money doing this, you know, and it's, it's more rare than common that we make out, you know, with a great amount of money at the end of a tour. I, I think for any band, unless maybe you're in the top 1%, because yeah, after COVID is a whole other situation, but just in general, there are so many things that you have to invest in upfront and so many insane costs that you have to deal with just to produce a tour i mean especially talk about the us we're covering such a large amount of ground you have to plan out how often are you going to visit certain cities to maximize the number of people that are going to come to the shows how are you going to produce your merch how much does it cost if you have to rent a tour bus um how much is your agent taking what's the ticket price there is like such an immense amount of stuff that goes into how to make money and yeah i think at the end of the day the artist is kind of the last in line even though they did such an immense amount of work to build that brand, build a following, build an audience, go in and record music, write music, put all that time and effort into it. So yeah, I absolutely do relate to it. And um, I think especially, you know, the funny thing is whilst the price of everything has gone up after COVID and inflation, the price that musicians get paid, even outside of touring has not, you know, it's like, oh, well, everything else costs so much. So can we pay you less? You know, and I think it's, maybe it's part of the culture that it's kind of easy to ask a musician to make a sacrifice because that's just what people have expected everyone to do for such a long time. And it's hard because it's really hard to break that cycle, especially in a system that is set up in many ways against the financial success of, of a band or any act or a solo artist, a indie artist, if they're just trying to grow, you know, you have to climb a massive hurdle to get to that point of just breaking even.
1: What do you think about the, the merch percentage do you think is that something have you thought about that just historically because that's something that as long as i've been touring in the first second i started playing bigger venues and more kind of uh you know house of blues type spots that was a thing and i remember coming from the hardcore scene we were kind of blown away when you first get experience to that and then eventually you kind of you know that's just industry standard What what are your thoughts about about the merch percentage
3: Yeah. I mean, I think considering artists already have to struggle so much just to break even or make money, it it seems, you know, and again, this is coming from a place of me not knowing the numbers super intimately, but it does seem a little bit unfair in a lot of ways because, you know, in most cases, the artists or the band, the, the group that's working with the band is working on designing this stuff. It's being sold because you have fans that are dedicated to you that have followed you because of the music. They're not going to a place because of a venue, you know, they're not going because of, you know, what the place is like, they're going to see you, they're going to see what you've built. So it seems like the merch is your opportunity to, to sort of make something that night, you know, and that uh, the opportunity to sell that exists because of what you've built, you know, not necessarily all these ancillary players. So uh, yeah, I I think it's, you know, kind of hitting people a little bit while they're down. It's that's their chance, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, to kind of play like devil's advocate to that, to, to some degree, I do think, there is a little, because it was uh, the Bad Omens, but also this other band, Dark Funeral, mentioned, they go, hey, we've we've paid as much uh, in merch percentage to the venue as we made in guarantee that night. And that mm-hmm. means we're playing for free. And then I go, me, I'm like, damn, they must have sold a lot of merch. Yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is good, uh, which means their they're, they're bands are doing well in that arena. And I have to imagine, and I think most bands do this, is you probably raise your prices based on the percentage. So theoretically, if there was no percentage, would you, you know, would you still charge 35 for that shirt or would you charge 28? Would you, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, are we just that percentage? Or aren't we just passing that money onto the consumer?
0: I think charge? it might
3: depend, you know, cause I mean, thinking as like an economist, let's say, I mean, you also have to be sensitive to your markets, right? So certain markets, people, there may be an audience that, you know, they're spending what they're willing to spend on the ticket price, you know, and maybe there's already some things added to the ticket price. So if they are considering buying a t-shirt or something and it's been upped or it's just beyond what they're willing to spend, you might actually lose that sale entirely. If you are bumping up your prices to make up for, you know, having to pay that to the venue. So I guess I'd have to look at numbers or understand better how much those price changes would affect what consumers are willing to buy. But, um, I don't know that in all cases that it's even feasible to to adjust for that. I, I, I'm not really sure.
1: I think bands do do that, though. I don't think yeah. if you're, if you're going to, if you were planning to sell a shirt for $20 and you've got your margins, it's like, oh, the shirt costs $5 and it costs this much to ship it and we got to pay the uh, merchandise person and all your expenses, you kind of know what your margin is. And then you go to the venue and they go, hey, we're going to take 20%. Usually in my experience, then well, all right, well, that twenty dollar shirt is now twenty-five dollars because yeah. we're not we're not covering that or else our our margin kind of kind of goes away. And I'd say the other kind of devil's advocate thing I'd kind of play here is that I think it's very easy to only speak on the musician's perspective and not like one of the things Devin Townsend said here is he goes, We've lost half the venues, which tells mm-hmm. you the venues are struggling too. Of course, I'm sure, yeah, so is there really some huge power dynamic where there's these like kind of starving artists in this one corner and these like super powerful rich venues is or is it the truth that everyone's struggling I don't I don't I don't really know the answer to that question.
3: I can imagine you're right. I mean, I, I think that's true. I think just the industry in general, it seems to me from the way it's set up, it's just hard for everyone to win and that's because I think music and entertainment in general has been a hard thing to make a living at regardless of whether it's live performance or streaming or selling albums. Um, you know, and I guess speaking from my experience with Starset, I think one of the greatest assets that we had was, you know, the, on the business side, it's primarily run by Ron and Dustin. So Dustin's kind of the creative head, the singer, he does a lot, a lot of the songwriting and Ron comes from a background of logistics and working with numbers and spreadsheets. And he's a genius with that sort of stuff. So from the very beginning, a lot of it was kind of mapped out in a business plan sort of way where we're going to work towards owning our Sprinter vans, owning buses, not having to rely on renting, also owning an internal merch company where we're in control of the production of our own stuff. So we have a little bit more control. Um, But that took a lot of foresight. And, you know, I can understand that that's not necessarily feasible or in the plan for everybody else. You know, you do have to have some money up front to invest or somebody that maybe has that background or that strength. So, I think we've been able to sort of weather that storm a little bit, maybe differently than some other bands, you know, and we're, when we're headlining these days, we're playing like house of blues size venues. We're not doing arenas, you know, if we're opening for bigger artists, we are, but we're still kind of in that mid sized band where we've got some success with streaming and listenership, but there's still some markets where it's not sold out or super well attended and some tours that are harder than others. So you know we're lucky that we have that working in our favor of you know not necessarily having to rely on the price fluctuations when you're thinking of like what are you going to be your fixed costs and going out on a tour of you know a bus or getting your merchandise or you know, transporting everything?
1: yeah. and, and you know from my perspective, I see a parallel between the music industry as kind of all industry and everything happens in the regular world of business. And that if you look at the past 30 years, what's happened? The the rich have gotten richer and the middle class has essentially been decimated, you know? And that has happened, it's maybe more exacerbated in, in the music industry, but I do think that, you know, what you're speaking to, the, the mid-level band, right? Uh, because if you can, if you're big enough that you can headline a house of blues, type venue across the country and, and you know overseas and things like that you're already kind of in a very uh elite uh space already right that you know sure. and there's these kind of you know and, and this is kind of maybe me speaking from a more inside baseball industry thing where you kind of look at certain acts and you go okay this band is a club band and, when mm-hmm. you, th- and you think clubs you think anywhere from you know, playing in front of 200 to 600 people a night. And then the theater band, you know, the band's probably playing anywhere from 800 to 1500, maybe a little more. And then the gap between the theater band and the arena band is pretty massive. Right. And there's some bands that kind of fall in that middle, right? Where they're not necessarily big enough to be an arena band, but they're also bigger than being a theater band. Right. Mm-hmm. Now it's once you get to that level that I think you're like, you're making a lot of money and the band the people in the band are doing very well they have big crews maybe they have multiple buses maybe they have you know there's the margins have created this ability to kind of have some breathing room but Mm -hmm. anything below that you know and and bad wolves is probably in in a very similar situation to to star set um where it's you know we haven't really headlined much on this this record so we've been supporting other bands. Which means in a lot of cases the, the guarantee is a little lower because you're supporting sure. someone else um and so it, it creates like these different challenges of like okay how do we create this environment that's sustainable even if maybe the business is losing some money in the short term like we've kind of decided okay it's okay for the business to maybe lose a little money um because the investment we're putting into the touring and the marketing and the promotion and getting in front of a ton of people will ultimately be worth it in the long run.
3: Sure, absolutely. And I I think, I mean, you can't take the touring away, you know, that regardless of what money it's making or not making, I mean, that is, connection with the fans is an essential part of building the whole, you know, and, uh, you know, for example, in the difficulty of touring now, one of the things we did recently was do an acoustic tour. And that was entirely self-managed, self-booked, you know, we weren't really dealing with traditional venues. Ron called a bunch of breweries and restaurants and set up shows that we entirely marketed ourselves, you know, sent it to the people that, you know, bought merch or came to VIP events before. And that was immensely successful. And, you know, without having put in a lot of those sort of money losing tours and times that we've gone out <coughs> supporting other bands or headlining where we're not really breaking even. I mean, that was our chance to connect and build that that fan base and that connection with those people that have repeatedly come back and supported us. And that gave us that chance, you know, to do that acoustic tour, which we otherwise couldn't have done if we were just, you know, we're just going to let you guys listen to music and we're not going to tour because it's too expensive, you know, that, that would have removed that possibility for us.
1: Yeah, I mean what kind of worries me though is for the bands coming up. You know, the, sure, the, yeah. the bands who are not even club-size bands as a headliner. Maybe they're they're still a support band or mm-hmm. they're trying to expose themselves. I really think touring has become kind of a prohibitive luxury. Sure. And and I think a lot of younger bands are probably going You know what? We're just we're not going to go on tour because it's it's so devastating fi- financially. And this is, you know, I remember starting out back in the day and you kind of knew you weren't making money on tour. It was just like, this, is, this was your chance to, your only chance to get exposure. But now they have all these avenues, right? YouTube, TikTok, mm-hmm. ways of ex- exposing their band where they can go. Well, maybe it makes more sense if I'm going to lose money. Maybe it makes more sense to put that money into a, a great music video. Maybe it makes more mm-hmm. sense to put that uh, into Instagram ads or 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 wherever. You know, and, and that's the thing that I kind of worry about. But I also, you know, I don't know where that's going to go because I think it, I think it's going to make it more difficult for bands to break out from touring, and and they will maybe start touring later, you know, when they're more established.
3: Yeah. And I I can completely understand that. I mean, I think, you know, if you are able to somehow foster that connection with people, even if it is through social media for a period of time with the intention of building up to the ability to go out and do it live, I think that's a great avenue to take. Um, But yeah, it's, it's sad to think that it's prohibitive. And, and we've, when we've headlined, we've had, you know, opening acts that have been in exactly what you're talking about. They're, they're new there. It's just four guys and they're touring in a van and you know, they're doing some of these long drives with much less money than, you know, the the headlining act that's going in a bus and it's easier to sustain. And I can imagine, you know, even hearing stories from Star Set before I joined, like that's exactly where they were, you know, four guys driving massive drives overnight in a van, losing money, trying to make it to different places so they can just get in front of people. And in some cases, not a lot of people.
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a weird thing. And I think it expands across all uh, performative arts. In that it's an odd thing or, it's, or it makes it ripe for exploitation because it's a thing that most people who do it would probably do it for free and often do do it for free. And so there's a lot of people that want to do it. So people so the people who might be in a in a in a, in a space where they can kind of take advantage of others and kind of dangle that carrot and go, hey, uh I got this opening slot, you know, for this tour it only pays a hundred bucks a night, but yeah, y- you know, but we've all, you know, I, I mean, I can't speak for you, but you know, I, I feel like a lot of people on my end of things have, have really been in that position where it's, you go, well, what else am I going to do? How, like, because you love it, right? You love performing, you love getting in front of people. And it's like, here's a chance to do the thing I love every day, even though I'm not making money.
3: Yeah, of course. No. And I mean, it's fascinating for me. Like, as I said, I'm not the expert on logistics with band touring, but, you know, I have this split perspective of coming from, you know, the world of classical music where people, you know, it's remarkable. People will pay $125 for tickets, you know, and there's not an abundance of money. It's not to say that classical musicians are getting paid a lot, but there's a lot more security in terms of the system is in place for that to work. And there's people that are willing to spend and there are venues that are supportive of it. Um, you know, even just private and corporate events and things like I live in Miami, Florida, where there are people that would happily spend a thousand dollars an hour for somebody to come play an instrument, you know, but meanwhile, there are people that can barely get money to play a show that they're willing to do for free, you know, just because they love it. So I can't even wrap my head around the fact that there is this this immense split, you know, coming back to like the high, high and the low, low. It's like there it there's such a divide between those two worlds. And it makes me wonder how could we possibly find a way to sort of bring that gap closer where we can like get these people that are clearly willing to spend money and, and, and sort of pump that into the entertainment industry and, and have that help bands and people that are, that are really out there making music, putting their hearts into something creative and wanting to share it.
1: Well, I mean, I think, but coming from your perspective, you're someone who is a professional, right? Like you did the proper schooling and you built yourself to, to, a certain point where you've built a skill that has this kind of, I don't say it's a, it's a, it's a natural word built in, but it's most, most of us are not having, haven't taken that path, right? We're not professional quote unquote mu- musicians and, and or at least we don't start out that way, right? We're just someone who, you know, banged on drums and guitars in our basement and kind of just figured out met some people. And next thing you know, we're kind of rocking out. But if you're like some punk rock band, right. And you're playing your four chords, is, your, is that skill set necessarily the thing that someone would pay a lot of money for that? Because it's, you know, I'm not saying it's disposable, but there's a lot more of those people out there, right? Kind of uh, more rudimentary musicians. And then there's this other, col- you know, collection of people who are like, they literally went to school to get to the point so that they could do that as a job. And I think there's a difference between the, uh, the like, purely artistic element of music and then the, I'm the type of person, I am a person who plays music professionally and I get paid to do this. And those are almost two like, I don't know if they, they're two kind different kinds of people, but they're definitely different kinds of approaches to to the whole thing.
3: Sure, and I think, yeah, I I accept that with the classical world that is kind of its own world. You really can't, you know, it does take a certain level of years of training and practice and preparation for that. But I think at the end of the day, you know, it matters what you're offering to people. And I don't think it matters what your training is. And one thing I admire a lot about the guys in in my band is most of them are self-taught. You know, they didn't come from the trained world. You know, I was the violinist that was brought in and that's been largely my experience is the string players come along when you have the budget to do it, which I feel lucky. But at the same time, you know, I completely admire that they've built something, that they have something to offer and it's an experience and it's a type of music. And, you know, I think if you are able to, to provide that and entertain people... I don't think it makes a difference whether you have the training or not. Um, You know, it's a matter of knowing exactly what it is that you're offering and really owning that and being able to maximize the potential of that. And, you know, again, it's, it's hard because it's a different situation for every band. You know, you're right. There are a lot of people making bands and it's a lot harder to differentiate. Uh, Star Set is, you know, from my perspective, unique in the sense that it encompasses a lot more than just music. You know, there's, there's a story, there's a narrative, It's, it's kind of like theater in a lot of ways. It's on the edge of a lot of different genres. And, you know, I'm sure part of that was intentional because the more ways that you can reach people, the more likely you are to have a different person come in each time. You know, if you're super niche and it's the same problem in classical music, if you're playing exclusively classical concerts, no wonder a lot of people aren't going anymore because less and less people can relate to that. They didn't grow up with it. They didn't study it. So you know, it just depends. The, the onus is kind of on the artist at that point of, you know, you should make exactly what you want. But I think knowing that and finding a way to maximize that and reach the people that will appreciate that helps.
1: Do you have like a kind of threshold in terms of if I'm going to get on the road, I need this, right? Like I need to make X amount of money or I need to like, if like, would you tour in a van currently, if it was the right situation?
3: I think, you know, for me, I I might be different from most violinists in the sense that, you know, I also still do it because of the joy in a lot of ways. And absolutely, I, if I were to not tour at all, I would probably make more money (laughs) just going and playing corporate events for the rest of my life. But that's not what I want to do. You know, I want to be playing original music. I want to travel. And I think with... StarSight came to me at the right time because I was really aligned with the the vision of it, uh, the music itself. And, you know, that was at a time when they were still playing clubs and not always selling out, you know, so I got in when they got the first bus, which was already, you know, as we've talked a high, high level, but you know, it, they were just kind of breaking out into that threshold of, you know, mid-level to getting, you know, growing towards the theater level. So yeah, I think absolutely with the, with the right, with the right artists and the right group and the sort of the right vision i would be willing to try anything
1: <laughs> well i mean i think uh there's some people we call them we call them lifers yeah <laughs> well, you know you know the ones that just uh especially a lot of the people i've inter- interviewed on this show uh like like myself like even, even if you have some downtime or maybe I've, I've had time away from music as like my general profession but you always kind of end up back <laughs> because yeah. it, it 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 calls you to it and and like you said that that joy and especially for me like the joy of playing with other people you know i don't just want to sit in my room and play guitar i want to collaborate and i want to make you know make a bunch of noise together that and it's uh you know it's i i you know i, I think about it because the lifestyle itself is difficult right touring itself is difficult right it's physically Absolutely. taxing yeah. uh I think the hardest part about it is it pulls you away from your friends and family. And especially if you have children, you're missing big moments, and that's a big, big sacrifice. Um, you know, and I and so I, I wonder, you know, this, you know, maybe I'm kind of being a little repetitive with going back to some stuff we talked about in the beginning of this of like, will that if it gets harder and harder and more expensive and more expensive, will bands go, you know what, all this sacrifice, all this stuff, maybe. We're going to take a step back, you know, and, and you've kind of seen that with uh, Metallica, for example, who obviously is the biggest metal band of all time. and could do whatever they want. They're doing this, their next tour, stadium tour. It's just, it's two shows in a weekend, a Friday and a Sunday, but it's like spread out. Like, I think it's like they're a week apart and then it's split up in like two different parts of the year over two different years. Yeah. and And I think they've change that essentially to kind of create an environment where they can still do touring, but in a way that is not super dismantling to their day-to-day lives, you know?
3: Yeah. Well, and that's but, an incredible luxury and perhaps something that's only <laughs> possible for people of a, of a certain level, because of course, that's actually, one thing we we talk about a lot too. It's like, it would be great to be a weekend warrior, you know, and we're just going to fly out for two days. But again, it comes back to logistics. Sometimes that costs even more and you have to, you know, yep. di- and it's interesting. I read in advance of this, I was just reading some articles and there's some interesting graphs online of um, at what point you break even in a tour. And it, it's sort of like the whole model of touring is that you do kind of have to do that stretch so that all of the things that you had to invest in up front kind of pay off.
0: It's so cumulative.
3: it's exactly. So it's, it's hard to kind of break it up in that way. Of course, if you know, you're going to go play a stadium and there's going to be 30,000 people there. Yeah. Do two of those shows and call it a weekend, you know, but, um, I, I can imagine it's, as we both know, it's incredibly taxing. It's a really hard life. And, you know, it's sort of like when you're ready to quit your corporate job, but then your boss gives you that bonus. And sometimes that bonus is just the joy of that tour or some of the memories you made or the travel or the fact that you got a great idea for a song while you were on the road, or you had some moment, you know, but somehow at the end, we always keep coming back. And I, I think touring, you know, informs the creative process too. It's sort of like the difficult thing with COVID was it's really hard to work in a vacuum. You know, eventually you you burn out. You, for me, at least you run out of ideas because you're not, you're not going into the studio. You're not, you're not playing shows. You're not running into somebody that you haven't met before and talking about music and and getting some spark of an idea. So, you know, there are all these external benefits of just getting out and playing and being out in the world that you know they're not financial, but it's it almost has to go hand in hand. That's that's part of your life as a creative person. You know,
1: absolutely. Well, listen, Javon, I don't think we solved all the issues <laughs> of our industry today.
3: I might, we might have made it more difficult. We made it worse. <laughs> an unanswered we... question.
1: <laughs> well, it is, but listen, it's a it's a it's a constantly moving target, and it's something we're dealing with in real time. And you know, the the pandemic is something much like you know our grandparents' generation talked about World War II and talked about. The Great Depression that has these uh, you know, ripples and cascading effects that last for decades. And we're we're still at a very big you know, we we we're coming off a big wave of that with the fuel and the inflation and all that stuff. And and I'm I'm just hopeful that some of that stuff will subside and, you know, we find whatever the new normal is and and you know, but without the backbone of the kind of middle class of musicians, I think our music environment will be worse. I think we're going to get less good music. I think we're going to get less cool and artistic bands. So hopefully those things, uh, improve with time.
3: I agree. And let's, let's hope in the meantime, we've got technology on our side. Let's hope so try and just connect with people the best way that you can. I think that's all we can do and hope that we get that chance, you know, for the, that, that middle section to grow again, you know, and just get back out on the road.
1: For sure. For sure. So where can people find you in the 2020 podcast and all your bands?
3: Yeah. So you can see the 2020 podcast at 2020-d.com. We've got an archive of all of our old episodes, including you on there. Um, I'm on Instagram at Siobhan underscore violin. My website's SiobhanCronin.com. Links to everything there. And uh starset, everything's at starset online, uh LostSymphony.com, That's the my symphonic metal project that's paired with 2020. So yeah, star set, lost symphony, me, Siobhan Cronin. Um, you can find me in all those places. And uh thanks for listening.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for being on the show. And I hope you have a wonderful holiday season. All right. You
3: too, Doc. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Bye-bye. You too. Thanks. <laughs>
1: Hey guys, Doc back here. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Siobhan. That was a lot of fun. I actually have a little addendum to this story because Andy Sizzik, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that properly, uh, the vocalist for Monuments actually put out a Twitter post that got a lot of attention. Um this was, I guess, about two weeks ago. And what he said was, uh, being in a band feels pretty stupid now. The culture is embarrassing. Nothing about it is cool anymore. Uh, make almost no money, and half my old heroes are disgraced perverts. I've worked my whole life for this, and all I feel is ashamed, broken down, and obsolete, barely hanging on. Um, you know, he followed that up with, uh, I'll be fine. I still appreciate everyone who supports. I'll keep making music. It is what it is. Um, he actually ended up going on finn mckenty's punk rock nba podcast which is um interesting because i was like i i was gonna reach out and see if you wanted to talk but i think uh you know there's very few people that that would you know probably as a better place to kind of uh boil that down and kind of figure where andy was at and i recommend everyone go and listen to that conversation it's 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 really great and you know, he, he basically admits to just kind of being in a bit of a spiral, you know, um, not a spiral, but just like a letting the the best of his kind of negativity at that point kind of come out. And he felt he had to kind of let it out and, and, and share that. But, um, you know, the funny thing about the sentiments I think he's addressing are actually what everyone who's in this business will go through once they've been doing it a long time at a certain age and they have to kind of ask themselves that question, like, is this worth it as, you know, doing this stuff and putting all this energy in and not making exactly the money you want to make and how that kind of beats down on you. Um, You know, uh, and, and so that's why I, I felt like, he's exactly <laughs> the kind of demographic that I, I made this show for because it's exactly what I went through, right? Should I be doing this? Should I just quit? You know, and, and I did, I, you know, I did kind of leave the the business as my job for a while. Uh, I never stopped doing it cause I just, I, I loved it too much. Um, but I will, I will challenge two things he said in, in that interview. Um, one of that, one of the things he said Was that um, it's, you know, he's kind of distraught based on what he, I guess, maybe what he thought he was promised or he was supposed to get, like, that he had this idea in his head what it was like to be a rock star or a musician. And then I guess the, the reality is not fulfilling that. And I think that is a very subjective thing right Uh, is like going into this and expecting blank you know um i came in an industry with such low expectations um so i don't know what those expectations were like did he expect to be rich and famous or make metallica pantera iron maiden money without being in a band that big I, i don't really know what those expectations were so that's something i think uh bears interrogating and doing some like you know uh some self-reflection on were those expectations realistic and based on what and where did you get them from were they your own or did someone else tell you that um and then he you know he and i think there is something else he said the second thing that connects to that and he's like well there's no uh my chemical romance today or there's a there's no green day today and I don't. I, I just don't know. I get what he's saying. You know, kind of speaking to maybe the rock world having a a, a little bit of a smaller footprint uh, as 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 much as it did. Maybe you know, he's he's speaking to like the '90s or the the, the early 2000s. Um, but dude, bands are blowing up every day. You know, and people, some people out there are making a lot of money. It just depends who it is. Um, and I think it's really important to go, okay, if, if your expectation or your goal is to be as big as green day or my chemical romance, then start a band that is that ambitious. I love monuments. They're a great band, fantastic band, unbelievable band, but it's a proggy metal band. And you know, when you're doing something like that technical and uh to a certain degree it's gonna limit your reach you know you see look look what sleep token is doing pretty actually a lot of progressive elements that band but they're doing something that's crossing over and it's happening quick um and i think that band they might be the next ghost you know the band that goes from being a club band to a theater band to an arena band could happen um but there's an ambition there and they're seeing something and we, we, we have to kind of hold ourselves to those expectations and be realistic with that. If, you know, I mean, you, you, some of these death bands mans are getting massive and probably making more money than anyone's ever made out of that scene. Was that their expectation? I don't know. Or are they just breaking new ground? I think you got to look at this thing as a blue collar thing and you also have to realize it's going to be a lot of work and you're probably going to have to do other shit on the side or in conjunction with it or go, hey, put it down for a minute, you know? And when I say put it down, it doesn't mean stop doing it. I mean, stop when you have to rely on music and creative endeavors to, to pay your bills. It makes you resent the music and the art and so you know maybe he's just coming to that point where he's trying to figure out again though, those crossroads moments uh so maybe I do need do need to get him on here maybe maybe we'll we'll get into that a little more but i've been there many of the the guests on this show have been there where you go man i've been grinding i'm doing the thing and i'm not uh i'm not making enough um and i get it i just don't think the I just don't think it's always helpful to go, well, that's because the system is broken or that's because everything is corrupt. I'm like, it's corrupt to a degree, but no more than any uh, segment of entertainment. And the reason why entertainment can be the most exploitative or exploitive, yeah, it's probably just exploitive, is because people would do it for free. So anything you would do for, you would play a gig for free. You would make an album for free. You would write poetry for free and write you know, do paintings and and everything. People love doing it. So if you have a millions and millions of people doing it for free and your expectations, I'm this good that I'm going to make, you know, millions of dollars or, or just a lot of money or even just a livable wage that puts you in such an, an elite company. And listen, Andy is, he is that good. Um, he's a really really talented guy and uh and he does deserve to make a living from from making music um but unfortunately the the industry does not care about deserve and the best don't always win or get or start or, or number one right they will become number one so um you know and, he, and he, it seems like he's a pretty healthy guy and he wants in this the lifestyle especially the touring man is, is very you know, can be detrimental to your health if it's not at a certain level. So I I get all that. Um, so and it's a, and and that's that tough age, man. You're getting to your 30s. You're starting to trying to figure it out. So I just wanted to say that uh, great conversation. Uh, check out Punk Rock NBA with Andy. Um, shout out to Andy. Best of luck to you, and I, I hope you're just uh, doing well and feeling better with everything. And I uh, hope to see you around. I don't know if we've ever met, but I'm I'm a fan of of what you do. So. All right, with all that said, I'm going to get out of here. Just watch a great Lakers-Knicks game. My Knicks lost. The uh, Lakers were a better team. That's, that's how it goes. Uh, and so, you know, I'm trying to catch some games. Not, not I'm home, but I'm, I'm not quite as invested in the season if, if I'd have been clued in. But, you know, I do, do it when I, when, when I can. We got we got playoffs coming up. I'm excited. We got the All-Star game. Trade deadline. It's going to be fun. All right, enough of that. Love y'all. Mamba's out.